you know, I define activism broadly, not just, you know, protests and policy work, but anything that helps to shape and transform um, our, our collective life as human beings, for me, in a direction toward wholeness. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. And I, I will pronounce it properly now. Liza, right? That's right. Okay. Liza, please go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Maurice. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Um, my name is Liza Ranko. I'm a longtime social justice activist, a spiritual teacher and counselor a writer, an educator, and in this season of my life, um, stepping into my role as an elder in the community. I'm so incredibly grateful for the elders whose love and wisdom has guided me over the years. And, you know, I hope that I can offer something close to that um, to the amazing young people in my life and who are growing into their leadership in some very difficult times. Um, I was born and spent the first 10 years of my life in New York City. And oh, then, okay. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> you're, now on, you're now on the West Coast. Exactly, US, right? yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, but I started off in Manhattan mm -hmm. and then in the suburbs outside the city um, about an hour away through high school. And then more East Coast, lived in Western Mass in Durham, North Carolina. And then about maybe 25, like plus some years ago, moved to Oakland, California. Um, I would say that throughout most of my life, um, personally and professionally, I've inhabited the intersection of healing, spirituality, and social justice. One of the shapes that this has taken, and you saw this probably more recent in the materials that I sent you, mm -hmm. um, was a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2004 yeah. called One Life Institute. Mm -hmm. And for 17 years, One Life worked to support the well being of frontline activists, um, caregivers and really anybody who was working to lift up the community. Mm -hmm. um, our mission statement was we nurture, inspire, and sustain people committed to healing and justice. So you would certainly, I think, fall into that <laughs> crew. Um, but that intention remains central to my ongoing work. I also teach in graduate schools and in the community on subjects related to spiritual development and to mysticism and social transformation, pairing those two together, which may be a little less expected um, in, in many circles. Before... Uh, Liza, can I, can I take you one yeah. step back before you go there? Because I, I'm really interested to, to hear more about One Life, your organization. Mm -hmm. That you started in 2004 and then also stopped a couple of years ago. Right. Um, but when you grew up on the East Coast, how was that life? You know, um, and did you have uh, brothers and sisters uh, who took care of you? Um, and how did that particular life as a child then, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. influence where you ultimately ended up? Yeah, you know, I'm very grateful, actually, to have mm -hmm. grown up in New York City um, among a very diverse 
I don't know if you would call it a community, communities, maybe mm-hmm. is a better characterization. Um, and it was in the 1960s. So it's, it was a different New York than it is now in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that exposure to a larger world was very much part of my formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because it was in the 60s, there was activism in in the climate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were not involved in activist issues at all, mm-hmm. but I seem to have come in with some uh, predilection for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for example, during the U.S. war in Vietnam, I published, published in quotes, right, uh, what I thought of at the time as an underground pacifist newspaper called The Dove. And I distributed it covertly because it was underground um, to my third grade class <laughs> and to the bus driver that carried us to school. Um, so that was you know, my, my great uh, contribution to the movement as a third grader. Um, and I was also exposed to, I don't want to say, a non-institutional availability to the spirit. So I wasn't raised in any religious tradition. My father um, was raised basically as an atheist Jew, mm-hmm. my mother as Lutheran. And when they got married in the 50s, that was considered a mixed marriage. That was not, um, that was not all right with mm-hmm. a lot of folks. And so I was I wasn't um I wasn't really fed anything as a child mm-hmm. except a curiosity. Okay. And there were many books um, that I started reading at a young age. My parents began to explore um, different kinds of esoteric spirituality. And I think that also um feeds into who I am today mm-hmm. in regards to, I'm an interfaith minister. I've studied many, many traditions and life ways. And uh, I think it allowed me to deepen my own direct relationship with the divine. Mm. Yeah. So all, all of that yeah. um, is very consistent with, with who I am today and what mm. I do. And when I, you know, try to read your, um, you did some research about what you have done, you know, your blogs and your essays, and um, there seems to be a, a very important role um, in, in your life and in your work that's played by um, Dr. Thurman. Mm-hmm. And how did that come about? Mm. Do you still recall the first time you know you read a book or you heard him oh, speak? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and I'll just say for your listeners, um, Dr. Howard Thurman mm-hmm. was a 20th century African American mystic mm-hmm. um, who was deeply influential in the lives of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, mm-hmm. He was the first African American to meet with Gandhi and mm-hmm. really brought those principles of nonviolent resistance into relationship with the love ethic of Jesus, mm-hmm. which became basically the theological foundations for the Southern Freedom Movement. Um, so you know, that's just one bit about Thurman. But he he deeply embodied and articulated this, this intersection between mystic spirituality and social transformation. Um, the first time that I encountered Thurman was 1995 or six. Mm. Um, I was living in North Carolina still, and I used to get the Sunday, um, church service cassettes from Agape International Spiritual Center in LA, Michael Beckwith, and they would have pulpit readings at the beginning of the service. And every now and again, a reading would be 
from Dr. Howard Thurman's book, For the Inward Journey. I didn't think anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the readings, but I didn't know who he was. And then I was um, with a friend visiting Morehouse College. She was speaking there in the chapel. And after their presentation, you know, she was doing the linger to talk to people part. And I walked out into the gallery and there was a portrait of Howard Thurman. Mm -hmm. And turns out his ashes are interred there, he and his wife, you know, at the chapel at Morehouse College. And so I began to learn about him. I started mm -hmm. to read his books and I found such deep resonance mm -hmm. um, that he has really become one of my central spiritual teachers mm -hmm. in life. And uh, I've done a lot of work since in trying to elevate his teachings in the larger community. But he feeds my soul. Mm. He's, he's um, Dr. Thurman is considered to be a, a mentor of people <clears throat> like uh, Martin Luther King, right? And Jesse Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, what is it that, that really resonates with you? If you have to, you know, what they say nowadays, you know, if you would send a tweet about him, <laughs> you know, what would be there in your 144 characters? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the character count, but basically it's what <laughs> yeah, I said yeah. to you sure. before about yeah. that that integration of, okay. of a deep um, nature-based organic spirituality, uh, spirit mysticism, mm -hmm. right? Spirituality, yes, but even beyond that, mysticism, that direct mm -hmm. relationship with the divine, not mediated by you know, an institutional hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But that, that coming together and living into the intersection of mysticism and social justice mm -hmm. and seeing how interpersonal transformation and collective social transformation are like the in-breath and the out-breath, mm. right? They can't be separated. Is, is that, you know, was his work um, then also ultimately the motivation to start your own organization, the One Life? In part, yes. Hmm. Um, I feel like One Life really stands firmly on the shoulders of Dr. Thurman. Hmm. And part of Thurman's work in the world the one of the forms that his you know that that his uh, philosophy and theology took mm -hmm. was the building of beloved community and being a real pioneer in regards to bringing together folks of different ethnicities different religions mm -hmm. different walks of life in shared worship as a way to undermine the social barriers um, that separate us from one another. Mm -hmm. So One Life Institute was intentionally, um, predominantly people of color organization mm -hmm. that welcomed everyone. And so the spaces that we created would have folks from teenagers through people in their 80s, including Dr. Thurman's daughter, Olive, uh, mm -hmm. before she passed away. She loved coming to our retreats. Um, and folks who were doing hard work in the mm -hmm. community. You know, I define activism broadly, not just, you know, protests and policy work, but anything that helps to shape and transform um, our, our collective life as human beings, for me, in a direction toward wholeness. Mm -hmm. You know, activism can also be in another direction. Um, but the but the work that that I do and that I'm concerned with is people who are seeking to to heal, to transform, to uplift, to create more justice, more equity, more wholeness in the world. And so that included a lot of folk um, mm -hmm. who normally wouldn't be in a room together, and to create those spaces where people could find that connection across lines of difference is very much in the tradition 
of Howard Thurman. Mm. And that and the contemplative practice um, as part of our lives as as activists and as, you know, as whole human beings. Um, do you, can you maybe explain to me and the listeners the choice of the name One Life for the organization? Mm -hmm. It was very intentionally a reference to mysticism. Mm. Um, in the mystic worldview, everything is part of a sacred oneness. So that one life speaks to me of that. I also wanted a name that would be welcoming to folks from any tradition and to folks who were not religiously inclined, but whose spirits were hungry. Then after 17 years, <laughs> you decide alone or collectively that it is enough. How, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, several factors. Um, you know, one being COVID, for sure, because, you know, our programming was community-based, in-person programming. Hmm. Um, we did move on to Zoom during COVID and ran retreats and, and workshops and healing circles on Zoom. Um, but, but also, you know, when One Life started, there weren't other organizations doing this work. You know, or th there were a few. There was one I knew about in North Carolina, and there was a group in, you know, Chicago. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't part of the conversation, right? The term healing justice didn't exist yet. And, um, so it was, it was, a, it was important to bring this forward into movement spaces in particular, but into human spaces, because, you know, with all that's going on in the world, everybody is really on the front lines in some way. Fast forward to 2021, and it's in some ways almost flavor of the month to talk about sustainability um, and even spiritual care. Not quite as much, but spiritual care is in there also for activists, um, community caregivers. And so even in Oakland, there were new organizations that we have now become the mentors of. Um, who who were doing the work and frankly doing it better and more vigorously than we were you know we were tired <laughs> um and then on a personal level time goes faster and faster the older that we get and i could easily imagine looking up in another 10 years and have been doing the same thing now we would have touched a lot of people, served a lot of people, done a lot of good. But what would have not been done, right? And for me, the not been done part was the writing. And so I um, and the board whew, made a very difficult and prayerful discernment mm -hmm. about sunsetting the organization. It was not taken lightly it was not an easy decision because you know folks didn't want us to close um, but i think it was the right decision and you know i'm still doing the same work just in different ways that is two years ago now yeah how is it how is it with the grief around it you know, I do not miss being responsible for an institution. Um, that was never the work of my calling. That was never what I wanted to do. That was the means by which we could serve and provide care for people. Um, I have served and provided care for people before One Life, and I continue to serve and provide care for people now. Um, so it is... There is sadness that we're not gathering in the same ways. 
you know, in the same constellations of people. But there is tremendous liberation in not having to uh, be responsible for an institution and, you know, fundraising and reporting and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the, the not very nourishing aspects of that work. Um, I, I know you you have been working on a book. Mm -hmm. the, the book is finished, right? Is that correct? The, the book is We're finished. Okay. The book, yeah, it's it's you know, I think I don't think they're ever finished mm -hmm. <laughs> in a way. You know, you always look at it and oh no, there's one more thing. Um, but it is the manuscript is complete. Mm -hmm. Um, and I am currently uh querying publishers and agents. Um and welcoming that into my life, if uh, I'll plant the seed here in the podcast universe. But the book is is very much a reflection of the work of One Life mm. Institute, a work the work of Howard Thurman, you know, and my journey and as a, a counselor, um, educator. It's called Healing Self, Healing World, Soul Medicine. For apocalyptic times. Oh. Yeah, we can pretty much just stop there, right? <laughs> um, the book. Hmm? Yeah, and and did you start writing that after you know one life stopped, or already before? Um, it had been on my heart to write for quite some time. Mm -hmm. There just was never sufficient time. Yeah. I I. You know, I bow down before folks who manage to write a book while working full time, while mm. raising a family. Um, constitutionally, that's beyond me. Um, I really needed to be able at least to get it started. I think once I was in the groove, I could, you know, do other things better. But at least in the beginning, I had to, to enter into it. Um, almost as a spiritual practice, you know, and not be bouncing back and forth between the space where I was listening for the book mm -hmm. and the demands of the outer world. It's interesting that you say this because I was listening to you talking about the work that you had done about around uh, the audio tapes mm -hmm. um, from Dr. Thurman. and. You mentioned that you know you and the others who were part of that project. You considered yourself to be the midwife of that process. Mm -hmm. I guess now you had to deliver yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So, indeed. so how did that go? <laughs> um, it has been an amazing journey. It has been one of the most formative in the sense that we talk about spiritual formation. It has been one of the most formative experiences of my life. Um, I sit it next to going through the, the PhD journey. I learned so much from the book, right? Mm. Um, I wrote it out of you know my knowledge and experience and study. But it also demanded of me to learn more, to study things that I would not have studied before, mm -hmm. and to listen in a deeper way to, you know, what I call the voice of spirit. Mm -hmm. um, so there were things, it, it's, it was not unlike my work with counseling clients or facilitating a retreat in that things will come through for the person, right? That maybe are new to me. Mm -hmm. You know, that that what I what I call spirit, and I don't want to get tangled up in like what that really means, but that larger life, that wholeness, that creative intelligence, yeah. Um will will offer an insight that is valuable not just for the other person but for me as well and so there are many of those woven through the book 
things that, you know, it never occurred to me to look at it that way before, that I hope will be nourishing for readers as well. I, I'm really curious uh, for your book because I, I think I've read part of, you know, got a little bit of an idea of what your book is about in, in a blog you wrote about becoming a good ancestor. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah yeah and and um it's something that i've i've been thinking about a lot um you know i i am also the chief sustainability and impact officer of, of a faith-based uh, ngo so you know we have a lot of conversations about sustainability mm. and what we try to do as an organization is really contribute to uh, the 17 sustainable development goals that we have developed as a, as a world together you know they're not mm -hmm. perfect um i have it so i have a question about, about it for you and that is um have you heard about these 17 sustainable development goals so that's my first question mm -hmm. and then if you have um you know what would you like the listeners to know about uh, these sdgs and then a related question is part is that we are not making the progress that we should make. We are only at 15%. Uh, you know, the, the most recent reports are showing. Um, and a growing group of people, um, you know, they are saying in one of the reasons that we are not making these, not able to, to work on these system changes is because we are not paying proper attention to the ability, skills and knowledge that you need as an individual and as well as community. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of resonates with some of the work that you do. Um, but they came up with the inner development goals. So five goals they identified, being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I, the, so that's the second part of my question, or the third is, <laughs> is uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about, about that? So mm -hmm. I'm going from your blog, you know, the, the book, to the SDGs to the IDGs. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of resonance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mentioned to you how much I enjoyed uh, reflecting on the topics that you cover in your, in your podcast. I was not familiar with the SDGs or the IDGs, and your invitation allowed me to go look at them mm -hmm. and spend some time with those. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it, it, it made me think of a quote by Dr. King, um, where he called for a radical revolution of values. And a quote that I like um, was, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. And I think in some ways that reflects, you know, a little bit more preacherly um, in its language, but the intention um, that, that you're pointing towards, that it takes both inner personal transformation and systemic structural change to shift uh, the foundation, really, of human life on this planet. And I think that they are... They are reciprocal and synergistic, you know, that as we engage in the inner personal transformation, then we come to the, the work in the world in a more transformative way. And I would say that doing that work actually then helps transform, mature, grow us. So it is, it is, um, it is mutually reinforcing and mutually amplifying in in really important ways. Um, yeah, that I've heard people argue. Well, no, we have to deal with the world first, and then we'll have the luxury to turn within. And then there's folks that say, no, we have to get ourselves right first before we can address what's going on in the world. And I think it's very much an integration, again, coming back to Howard Thurman, right? That, that one without the other is not going to endure. That even if we 
you know, win changes for justice in social structures, um, that they that they're not going to last. Right? Look no further than the rollback of voting rights or the gutting of environmental protections. Right? We have to become the people who can inhabit, who can first imagine, and then inhabit and sustain. You know the kind of world that that we yearn for. But part of how we become it is engaging in the process. So. It's, I, I've heard you quote um, Dr. Thurman in terms of, you know, we have to wrestle with complexity, right? Yes, yes. I think that's something that our uh, United Statesian culture is not very fond of, um, which is reflected in the shallowness of, you know, our political debate and our... Um, materialistic social values that I think we need complexity. We need to go deep. We need to, to push ourselves to, um, to look in a way that has almost been trained out of, you know, I can only speak for the U.S., right? But in a way that has really been trained out of us with, you know, the hyper focus on uh, consumerism and material success as the measure of self-worth. Um, and even just, you know, the soundbite version of life. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think one of, if, if you, if you're talking about wrestling with complexity, one of the th ways is, uh, you know, try to connect people more so that they start listening and maybe as a result of listening, a dialogue will start. Um, so that I hope, you know, that this little podcast will contribute to as well in its own uh, way. Um, more, you know, very concretely, uh, not long ago, I started to come up with, you know, a question of a previous guest that I share mm. with, with, with my guests. So I have, a, I have a question for you from a previous guest. If we're going to make a dent in the universe, how do we get a massive amount of people to walk around the planet <laughs> for a certain cause? I have to smile um, when I hear the question uh, with the make a dent in the universe part, <laughs> because the universe is not the problem, right? The universe knows exactly how to create harmony, um, innovation, balance, right? The earth knows how to do this. Um, and even some humans, you know, actually know it as well. Um, this was one of those pearls that that kind of got open to me in writing the book because I was lamenting about you know how are we ever going to turn the tide, and the trees said, you know like basically like yo, <laughs> right, that if you look at all of life as the community, you know not just being human centered about it that actually the majority of life on the planet is in league with the direction that, you know, you and I are talking about, mm -hmm. right? That, that wholeness, a balanced and harmonious um, world that honors the well-being, that, 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 that uplifts the well-being of all. And it really encouraged me you know, to recognize that it's just a subset of humans that have forgotten, you know? Granted, they are the subset with a lot of weapons, um, a lot of institutional power, and a very loud megaphone. But that's material power, right? The real power 
the enduring power is spiritual. It is in the universe. That's why I loved the way the question was framed, because the answer was in the question, right? That power is the power in the universe, in the earth, in the majority of life forms that remember the oneness, the wholeness. And I think, you know, as we've been saying, the only way to really create the kind of transformation that we need, because it's not we're long past the time of tinkering around the edges. Yeah, it it's, has to be a paradigmatic shift. And the only way to do that is to align with that spiritual power, you know, with that, with that majority, if we include the intelligence of all of life. Um, now, I'm not saying that everybody has to hold a particular set of religious or spiritual beliefs, but rather that we have to, to shift the foundations of how we relate with one another and how we relate with the planet. And it's that shift in consciousness from division and domination toward kinship. Mm -hmm. It kind of brings us back to the IDG goals. No, it sure, sure does. Um, no, th thank you for that, uh, Marisa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would like to, to bring us back to um, actually the, the, the podcast and, and the mm -hmm. reason that I started this podcast. I, I don't know if you're aware. Um, but this, it's a spin-off of a hundred mile walk that I've been doing since 2012. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I'm walking a uh, hundred mile in a week, uh, well, five to seven days, but it means 15 to 20 miles a day mm -hmm. to raise funds and awareness uh, to end hunger, poverty mm -hmm. and injustice. And so, you know, um, yeah, I was not able to, to, uh, to walk with others um because of covid so so then i thought okay then i start virtual virtual walk so that's how this mm. podcast started and it has gone a little bit out of hand because uh <laughs> we are how many years later two years later mm. um but my question to my guest is you know if you would be asked to walk 100 mile in a week or for five to seven days why would you do that mm. Well, I want to first say that I love that you do this. Um, I was I was just so moved by the commitment. Um, and you've been doing this for many years. Um, I also am delighted just by the idea of it and the power of it. Um, walking is also part of my practice. And so I know there's a lot of magic mm -hmm. that happens when we walk, yeah. but it's also such a wonderful way to, you know, it's different than sitting and talking to somebody face to face when you're walking together, mm -hmm. um, a chance to, to listen, to share new ideas, to get a sense of what's on somebody's heart. Um, and also, you know, perhaps a chance to invite them into some new ways of thinking or getting involved. So I think it's just a brilliant practice on, on many levels. And I just wanted to, you know, honor you and thank you for that. Um, for myself, um, I was thinking about it and, you know, there's probably a lot of things that I would walk a hundred miles for if I knew it would make a difference. Mm -hmm. But the hard part is you walk, even though there's no guarantee. Hmm. Uh, which then I thought, well, that's kind of what we do anyway, <laughs> whether we're, you know, engaging in activism in whatever form, there's no guarantee, but yet we're, we're motivated to do it. Um, I'm, you know, I, the laundry list, I'm with you on ending hunger and poverty and justice, the three things that are named in, in your website, you know, and white supremacy and war and violence against the earth, right? But the root of it, I think, is what 
you know, we were talking about a moment ago, and it is that that shift in consciousness, um, that that move from separation and domination that plays out as all the, you know, the issues that we're, you know, that we've been putting on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, it is that consciousness that has led to all of, you know, the, the escalating crises that we face in the world right now. So if I could change that, mm-hmm. right, if I could change that driving consciousness, I I would walk for the rest of my life, honestly. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Is is that um would that also come up if I ask you, you know, because I've heard there are a lot of things that you worry about, you know, similar to to me. Um if I ask you to really, you know, come up with one worry. Is that it, what you just explained, or something else? To me, that's the root, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I have a background in medicine, mm-hmm. and ideally, you're treating the cause of something and not just the symptoms. Mm-hmm. We may treat to control the symptoms, you know, to put as 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 harm reduction, as damage, to keep somebody alive long enough to be able to address the cause. And so I'm not saying to ignore the the symptoms of this consciousness, right? The way that it outpictures yeah. in terms of of um, in terms of war, in terms of of environmental extraction, of racial capitalism, you know, all, all the you know, we could spend the rest of the hour talking about the list. But to really transform it, we have to go down to the root mm-hmm. you know and and i know you're quite aware the word radical <laughs> means to go to the root mm-hmm. so we do need radical solutions we need to address the fundamental causes um, and those i think lie in human beings who have forgotten are belonging to something larger than we are. Yeah. Do you still have hope, though? And if you have hope, where do you see it? Um, I would say I have hope, even though I'm not optimistic. Hmm. Right. And, and, you know, I mentioned the title of the book, and in it is the word apocalyptic times. Um, to me, that archetype has been a really helpful lens to look at what's going on in the world and how we might engage it constructively. Yeah. So, you know, contrary to popular opinion, um, apocalypse doesn't just mean um, you know, the the decimation of everything and the, you know, zombies are coming and all of that business. The archetype is of death and rebirth, of destruction and renewal, right? There's a there's a a, a cycle rather than it being a linear thing and an end, and that's it, right? The word apocalypse, apocalypsis in the Greek, means to reveal. So it invites us to look at, okay, what's being revealed through, you know, through these times, through this experience? What's being revealed within ourselves individually? What's being revealed about us as a collective? Apocalypse, you know, I'm being a religion, spiritual, scholar kind of person. Um, more properly means the end of an age rather than the end of the world. And, you know, given the age that we've been in, like maybe it's a good thing to see that end, right? So for me, where I find the hope is actually in the face of the destruction itself. 
the 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 dysfunctions, the injustices of the social structures that we have built um, with, you know, the 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 Western capitalist, you know, racist um, consciousness that's an expression of that dualism needs to fall. Right. Through its fall, we have an opportunity to create something new if we take it right i i don't know what the outcome is um, many cultures uh, including the the abrahamic faiths of of judaism and christianity and islam have stories about the end of worlds and the emergence of new worlds so like the, the flood story in the Bible is an example of this. And the, there are flood stories in the, the, in the teachings of indigenous cultures all over the world, mm -hmm. right? So to look at it and understand, okay, we've done this before. You know, we have brought, as we as human beings have brought ourselves to destruction. And then over time, the earth, renews and begins again. And I feel like where we are now is that we are being offered another chance. Will we turn back from the brink in time? Or will we, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, you know, do it again? Um, either way, life will continue. I hope, you know, and I work toward the possibility that we will transform ourselves, our way of being, our way of being with one another, our way of being with all, you know, of nature and, and life in time so that we don't have to go over the brink. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know if... I think I kind of went down all my own rabbit holes with that a little bit, but but I having that framing um, has really helped. Studying the 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 prophecies of indigenous cultures, particularly you know on the land that I inhabit, and speaking with friends who are um, of those lineages has been such a huge gift in helping me move from despair to having some sense of hope and possibility, and also then some sense of how to proceed, right? Because it's not just we sit back and we kind of hope for the best, but it's on us to, to actively engage in for me, healing is is the central modality, you know. Hence the title, um, to heal our personal wounds, to heal the collective ancestral wounds, um, the traumas from generations past, to heal the wounds of an oppressive society. And that for me, healing is is the is the path for transformation that I feel most called to. It's not the only one, mm. but that's you know you you get in where you fit in. That's that's where I that's where I stand. But I think each of us has a purpose. Each of us has a gift to contribute something that is needed in these times to help tilt the balance. And, you know, I want to warmly invite anyone and everyone um, to find what that is for themselves. Um, and sometimes, you know, the place to start is more about being than doing. Right? Who are who are you, whoever the you is? Who are you called to be? You know, what does the 
the wisest, deepest, uh, most loving, creative, courageous version of yourself look like? And how can you inhabit that more and more of the time? It, it's, it takes practice. It's an intentional discipline, right? But then out of that being, the doing emerges. And, and just being able to live with a greater sense of meaning and purpose is so crucial uh, for us to navigate these times. I want to try to bring a couple of things together. I mean, you started our conversation with, you know, that you are it is part of your life. I don't exactly with the word that you use it was senior or older, but you have something, you know, you have gain some wisdom mm -hmm. uh, you just mentioned you know we have all we have to figure out what is it that we can contribute um and and i i think where you are is you know that wisdom that you've created would like to give that to the world you know and and uh, um then you also mentioned that when we were talking about walking mm -hmm. um that that is yeah, it's it's something special, and when you, you know, sometimes you don't even have to talk with each other when you walk. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I I think I've had you know that experience also when I was walking with other people, and and very often we talk about purpose, we talk about spirituality, religion, and then um, we actually almost always then also talk about you know, the next generation or the next generations. Mm -hmm. and it's something that fascinates you as well, right? I mean, you have, in, in your book, you you are referring to becoming a, becoming a good ancestor. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I'm also fascinated by the next generation and what's happening. So my, my question to you is, is, is um, what did you see happening among the younger generation, among the youth and spirituality and religion? Mm -hmm. First, I want to just make a friendly amendment to something mm -hmm. you said, and you said senior or older, and the word I used very, and there's a difference, right? Because mm -hmm. being an elder is not just having accumulated some years. It's not about mm -hmm. being old. All old people are not spiritual elders. Mm -hmm. um, and my relationship with the young people in my community and I mean, mostly folks in their 20s and 30s is, is kind of the, the, the crew that has found me, um, is because they were hungry for spiritual elders in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, they are brilliant and competent and amazing human beings. And then they kind of look around and go, well, everybody's looking to me, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm 27, you know, I know some things, but I sure wish that I could be companioned and held with, you know, held by and consult um, someone who's been around longer and lived with intention. Um, and I, I think that elderhood in that sense is a very sacred relationship, right? And it's not something that you decide you're an elder and hang out your shingle. It's that the young people in your life start calling you that and seeking you out for that. Um, what I what I've what I've been so aware of is how the spiritual hunger of those younger folks is leading them to reimagine spiritual community, you know, outside of the institutions that we may be familiar with. You know, I know there are young people in those institutions. Those aren't the ones generally that come seek me out. Um, there's a, a group nationally that I consulted with briefly along the way who was developing a multi-religious, multi-spiritual curriculum uh, for spiritual formation because they felt the need for that 
but they didn't want to go through a church or a synagogue or you know a masjid or temple but they they wanted something that didn't exist and so they went about the business of creating it right um i was invited to speak recently to a group of about 50 young people mostly young people of color who gather every month their worship um, in the redwood forest that's part of the parks system in Oakland. And they meet in a beautiful clearing in the woods in a big circle. They create an altar that's, you know, mostly a, a design of flowers and, you know, items from, from nature. Um, there's live music and group singing and movement. And there were some uh, facilitated opportunities for people to connect with one another, connect with nature, um, an inspirational message, which I think they wanted me to talk for about 10 minutes. So that's not the main event at all. And then they follow it with a DJ and a dance party, you know, all in the woods. It was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous and so life-giving for everyone. And it, I had the sense that the trees had been there waiting for us, that the circle wasn't just the humans, that the circle was the people and the trees and the music and the sky and the power in that. You know, as a spiritual experience um, is the kind of direction that, you know, that I see young people moving toward. Um, not being constrained by what has been, but being guided by the yearnings of their heart um, and finding what will what will fulfill those. Yeah. I'm learning a lot here, you know, about <laughs> about you but also mm -hmm. about, you know, a life. Um, but let us dig a bit uh, deeper. If, if I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that best embodies who you are for a big part, mm -hmm. um, what you are about, uh, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Mm -hmm. It's such a wonderful question. I love that you ask this. Um, there is a South African jazz singer named Tutu Poane, and she has a song called Mfo. Mfo means a gift. And I, honestly, I don't even remember how I first heard it. It probably popped up, you know, YouTube suggests the next thing, and it just shows up. Um, musically, I find it really emotionally moving. It begins with a long instrumental riff for piano and upright bass. And then her voice comes in. And most of the song is in her own language, but the chorus is in English. And if I may, I will, I will share it with you. She says, I sing for life. I sing for love. I sing for peace and the spark of hope. I sing for joy. I sing for strength. I sing for home, and I sing songs of victory. I sing for them, the brave and true, and I sing for you and for me. It feels like an anthem or an affirmation. Um, and, you know, as many times as I've listened to it, every time, I usually sing along and find myself, you know, really welling up with, with emotion. So I'm glad to add that to your playlist. Yes. And, and as, as a reminder for the, for the listeners, there is a, um, a Spotify uh, playlist that we make with all the songs that have been picked by uh, the guests of the of the podcast. If you go to hashtag walk talk listen, you will you should be able to find that. Um, thank you so much, Lisa. Um, yeah, 
um, although I'm, I'm not really, I don't really watch a lot of television, but uh, Steve Hartman of CBS um, is examining or has examined uh, how one simple act of kindness creates a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. um, I have two questions about that for you. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, a simple act of kindness? And then the second part of my question is, if I ask you to do one simple act of kindness this week, what would you do? Mm -hmm. First, yes, I agree. The more kindness that we can seed into the world, um, it has a contagion. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what I will commit to, if I may preface it with a short story, mm -hmm. um, I don't fly very much now, especially since COVID. But the last time I did, I was seated next to a man who was taking up a lot of space. Um, and maybe some listeners have sat next to that man at some point in their own travels, you know, not respecting the invisible boundary line between passengers and his belongings were all over and he was trying to chat when I was giving off all the leave me alone signals, you know, reading my book or my phone. And I was resentful. You know, I, I don't generally like talking with people on planes anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an introvert and I would rather be left alone. But eventually I softened and we started talking. And you'll appreciate it from that standpoint. It turns out he was a Vietnam vet. And as is the case with so many vets, he was carrying a lot of unhealed trauma. Um, and of course, it broke open my heart. Right? Politically, he and I were very different. He was pro-military. He had voted for Trump. Um, but on an emotional level, I had nothing but compassion for his pain um, and for all that he had no doubt experienced during that war. And by the time we landed, we were both, you know, teary-eyed. Hmm. So my commitment to answer your question is the day after tomorrow, <laughs> I have a flight coming up, my first mm -hmm. one since that one. Okay. Um, which was, you know, six months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I will make a point of intentionally keeping my heart open to people and remember that everybody has a story and everybody is carrying some kind of a wound. So I will commit to offering my compassionate listening and conversation um, as those opportunities arise. Thanks. That's... that's uh... Um, it's beautiful. Um, I have a, a couple of quick questions, you know, mm -hmm. if we can do that more in a kind of uh, rapid fire type of mm -hmm. way. Um, yeah, any message, invitation or question for the listeners? I think, you know, it's it's really what I said before mm -hmm. about inviting people into their own reflection around what is the gift they are called to bring into the world to meet these times? You know, what is their, not just their purpose in terms of profession or goals, mm -hmm. but purpose in terms of the deep calling in your soul? I forgot to ask you before your question for the next guest. Yeah. Um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the question is, what is the vision that sustains you, the world that you are working towards? Yeah, so I, I before I come to my last question to you, um, so you don't have a publisher yet for the book? That's right. Okay, wow. so, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate, of course, um, because I've had so many guests different from different backgrounds, but I've also had a guest who's a publisher. So um, hmm. so that's, a, 
it's an episode with a person called Tim Ward, and um, he actually a couple of his authors have been guests on on the podcast uh, as well. Hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the publishing company is called uh, Changemakers Books. Hmm. So I, I um, yeah, you can check him out and I could I make the con connection because I try to connect people. So why would I not do this? Thank you. Um, yeah, is there any question I should have asked you, but I didn't? No, I, I really love the questions that you asked. Um, <laughs> the only thing I might add in, you know, in the shameless plug department is to invite listeners to visit my website. Absolutely. Which, we will write all of those links and websites yeah. on um, uh, in the podcast notes. So we'll make sure of that. And yeah. if I can just speak it into the world, too, it's just my name, which is LizaRanco.org. And specifically... There are some free resources uh, there for folks and an invitation to subscribe to my email list so we can stay in touch. No, we will make sure that we do that. Thank you. Thank Beautiful. you so much, um, Liza. Thank you. you. Know. And yeah, all the best. And I'm sure the publisher will find the way to you. I'm trusting that, you know, that the same spirit that that gave me the assignment already knows where it will best reach who it needs to reach. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram